to the track, the wall makes the leap and makes the catch! Amazing catch by Junior! He got it! A perfect game! 13 strikeouts! And Barnes hits one high! What a special moment for Barry Bonds. Swing and a long drive. Deep to right. Going, going, going. Goodbye. He has done it. He has changed the game of the night with one swing of his bat. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Champions Adjust podcast. We are a baseball podcast covering everything from short hops to bat flips with a strong emphasis on youth baseball as both Coach Bodson and myself, Aaron Mashbitz, are youth baseball coaches and sort of kind of dedicated now a good chunk of our lives to trying to reinvent, I don't know if that's the right word, but reinvigorate, change, the course of, of youth sports, specifically youth baseball. Especially from a mental performance perspective. Especially from that, because we see it going down a path that we don't really like, as being in the trenches with it, and we're trying to do our best with the players we have, with this podcast, and with our mindset program to basically change the trajectory of that. And we're gonna touch on something today, um, in a, in later on, in the middle part of this episode, uh, about why we feel like it's going the wrong direction based off some tweets and some things that some companies are doing that have a lot of recognition and power in the youth baseball culture. So welcome back. This is episode 36. If you are, uh, no, just your first time listening to us, go back to our last two episodes where I did say that we have a big, strong emphasis on you know mental performance. And so our last guest was uh, Shea Hillenbrand, two-time All-Star, um, absolute beast for both the Red Sox and the Blue Jays. Also played for the Dodgers, um, the Diamondbacks, and a few other, uh, a few other teams. And um, and he talked a lot about you know what it takes to be at that level, um, but also the mental, um, the, the mental grind that it takes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really important if you're just now joining us for the first time to go back and listen to him talk a little bit about the mental aspect of, of being a major league baseball player and being an all-star um, like he was and, 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 you know, the grind that it takes. And if you're a kid and listening, you know, of course you want to be a major league baseball player, go listen to what he has to say about that and you know, take it for what it is. And um, as always, just ask his questions if you have them. Right. Very few people talk about the sort of um, dark side of becoming an elite baseball player or a professional athlete or becoming a major league baseball player because all we see is the sunshine and rainbows, the million dollar checks, the home runs, all this stuff smiles that comes with it, but they don't see behind the scenes, the dark side, the tough, the travel, staying away from your family, having to put in hours and 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 hours of endless work. Even when you're not motivated, you don't feel like doing it. Your body's breaking down. And that whole time, you're not seen as a human being to the people you're playing in front of. Right. And you're seen by this like sort of robot millionaire person. You're being paid to do this. Go do it. Even though you haven't seen your family in six months, even though you're exhausted both mentally and physically, you're still expected to go hit a home run tonight. Because that's what I'm paying for. So it's extremely complicated. And I urge you to have big goals and big dreams and big aspirations, but understand the cost you have to pay for those things. And if you really think about it, are you willing to pay that cost? 
Think about yeah. it deeply. Yeah. Everyone wants to be Bryce Harper. Everyone no. wants to be Mike Trout. Oh. But are you willing to do every single thing that they did day in and day out to get where they're at? Maybe you Bryce Harper is a different a different scenario because sure. you know he's a phenom, but at age eight, he was putting in four or five hours of work every you day. You know what that reminded me of when we were talking about that second episode when he was talking about how dark it is and how you, know, you are just doing what you can? Um, you go back to the steroid era, right? Let's go back to Barry Bonds. What psychologically made him feel like he needed to put a substance in his body? And based off that conversation with Shea, you have to think, hey, I'm a major league baseball player. I'm being paid millions of dollars to hit home runs. I can't not hit home runs because that is what people are paying to come see me do. Mm -hmm. But those same people that he put that stuff into his body to perform for are the ones who are saying that his home runs were not legitimate because he put stuff in his body. Right. But, you know, I've heard people go, oh, it's very selfish. Well, was it? Or was it selfless that he was willing to put junk in his body that is proven to hurt you because he's trying to entertain other people? Yeah, the reason Barry Bonds took steroids was for that exact reason. So Barry Bonds started his career off with the Pittsburgh Pirates, was an all-star, an MVP. 2020 guy. 30-30 guy. 30-30 guy, 40-40 guy, whatever. And then the 1998 season rolls around, and you have Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire who hit a bunch of home runs. Mm-hmm. Never seen it before. They made baseball exciting again. What did Barry Bonds do? One of the reasons year? why, by the way, steroids were introduced back into the game because fans had been walking away from this game in droves since the 94 strike. Right. Um, they don't have to make accusations of who did this and who did what, but it's pretty well documented um, that people pretty high up in Major League Baseball were okay with steroids being reintroduced back into the game because it was going to help attendance. It was going to help TV numbers. And so that's exactly what happened. Barry or uh, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire changed the scope of the game. 1998, they make it exciting. They make it fresh. They make it crazy. While that's happening, Barry Bonds is quietly hitting 340 with 40 bombs, over 100 RBIs, and stealing 30 bases. But not a single person, those stats are, might be a little off. I'm just off the top of my head. But not a single person, I literally mean not a single person, was speaking about Barry Nobody Bonds' excellence Barry Bonds. that year. Well, maybe even people though, in his hometown. Though, yeah, yeah. Maybe in Pittsburgh, but they weren't yeah. a good baseball team. Right. They were talking about the Chicago Cubs and Sammy Sosa. They were talking about the St. Louis Cardinals. In the vision, come watch him play. Come watch them play. Here you go. And so... After that season, Barry got pissed. He was pissed. He said, what am I meant to do? How can I be? What am I supposed to do? I'm the best player in the league, but no one's talking about me. So that's why um, his 1999 or 2000 season, I can't remember which one he was like injured for. But then, obviously come back 2001, he had 73 bombs. Is it steroids? Is it not steroids? Whatever the case may be. But those are some of the reasons behind it so you have to think about that as a as a professional athlete like Barry was the best player in the game but wasn't getting any recognition because he right. wasn't hitting the ball out of the ballpark 60 times he was only hitting the ballpark out of the ballpark 40 times, 40 times. yes and so he's psychologically thinking like what am I meant to do here and that's sort of the trail and then one of the seasons 1999 or 2000 he was injured I don't remember which one again but then we have the historic season he wins seven MVP awards you know greatest baseball player or hitter of all time but because of sort of that window of time where Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were deemed 
better, which they weren't. They were just good at hitting home well, runs. They were, their averages were terrible. I think, no, Mark McGuire hit 70 home runs and was 263 that season. So, I mean, that's a pretty that's good sort of, year, but that's sort of the reason yeah, it's why. Okay. And, and, it, and it relates exactly to your point of the, of the psychology behind the decisions people make. Everything is an intrinsic thing, um, and you, you can't really... You can't really pinpoint another person's decisions based on sort of an outsider's view. And that's a very brief inside view of Barry Bonds. That's, that's all I know. And I don't know anything more. There's got to be much more to the story. When but. people say, oh, he was a cheater. Oh, he's selfish. Oh, he doesn't deserve this or that. And, well, okay, did you enjoy it? Were you entertained? Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy watching him do this? And did you go pay to watch him play? Right. Because that's why these guys did that. So a lot of the reason was to entertain you, the person who's saying no, he does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, you did weren't complaining when he was doing it, and you were entertained. That's why he was doing it in the first place. So you would be entertained, right? So we can justify how much money he was being spent on, right? And well. <laughs> so you know, and then I've I've heard people say, well, it was selfish because people underneath him, you know, couldn't surpass him because he's taking steroids. Okay, nobody was passing up Barry Bonds with or without steroids. Right. He was one of the best players in Major League Baseball history. With or without. So that's not a real comment either. So we uh, <laughs> we didn't get f- 10 minutes into this podcast without mentioning Barry Bonds. I think we're going to change the name from Champions Just Podcast to We Only Talk About Barry Bonds Podcast. Incorporated. <laughs> Trademarked. <laughs> You know. I think that's the move. I do. I, we might I, get we might get some more listeners based sure. on just the title. Maybe alone. Barry Bonds will. Maybe Barry Bonds will pop on and be like, Bobby Bonds. These guys get it. Yeah, and we do. <laughs> no, these yeah. guys get it. Okay, but before I really before we get to this this thing that I really want to talk about, I want to ask you um, a question. Sure. Now that we have our season upcoming, yes, uh, we're in a new organization. Here we go. We got a bunch of amazing players new swag, about to coach. Baby. New swag. We're just four fired up for it. What for you it could be as a fan, a player, or a coach was your greatest baseball moment? Oh, On the spot, didn't tell Boz that I was going to ask him this before. It has to. I, I, I don't want it to be this, but it has to be this. Okay, was well, being in the dog pile in Omaha in 2012 and winning the national championship. I mean, that's what I figured right? it might be. Sure, but like, there's so many other. Like, I, I want to be like, oh, this coaching because. I think my second one was hugging Easton Kowaleski when he closed out that game a couple years ago. Like that's right. my second favorite moment ever. My first favorite one was when it was a lofted fly ball to right field. Rob Ref Snyder settling under, catches the ball for out three and beats South Carolina four to one. Matt Troop with the with the save, and everybody goes crazy and we 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 burn Omaha to the ground that night. And they get on an airplane at eight o'clock in the morning and everybody was sick to their stomach because they had, were not in the best uh, health shape that night. Sure. Um, and, um, man, that was a really cool 48, 72-hour whirlwind of just celebration and parades and recognition for something that I just was just lucky enough to be to be a part of. What did you uh, What did you learn from being a part of a national championship team? That it doesn't matter how much talent you have because we beat teams considerably more talented. Mm-hmm. One, get it hot at the right time. Two, don't ever back down from a challenge. And three chemistry on a team matters if you are willing to go to bat for every teammate on your team one thing that, that was talked about the year we won the national championship was the you go we go mm. pitcher gets three up three down all right it's hitter's turn mm. all right let's get three runs all right now it's your turn pitching staff shut him down again you go we go you go we go mm. it's it's do a job do it right i love you for doing it we're all on the same page 
Um, my freshman year at the University of Arizona, we were on the pre-ranked number one team in the country. Pre-ranked? Pre-season, pre-season number one in the country. Okay. It was one of the least gelled teams I'd ever been a part of. You had a bunch of first-round picks on that team who hated each other. Mm. Just fist fights in the locker room. Um, starting center fielder, who was the fastest guy in the country, got a concussion because he had a, 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 a shoot thrown at his head in the fight. And he missed the UCLA series, and UCLA was number five, and we were number two at the time. Like that, things like that happened in that locker room. And then you go to that Arizona team. We were a twelve, tenth. I think we got up to like number seven that year, maybe. Um, but we were like a top twenty team. Who um, was pre-ranked number one? Uh, the my uh, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, the two thousand eight Arizona baseball team. Got it. Two thousand twelve was pre ranked, huh. like twenty first or something like that. I don't remember. Sixteenth maybe. I followed. Um, yeah. Okay. So and and those guys weren't at the same. No, you had several major leaguers on that team. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it's also University of Arizona. Not often are you not going to have a major leaguer on the team at yeah, one point or another, right? Yeah. Um, you had several. I think seven guys ended up from that team made it to the major leagues. Uh, a couple of them are still playing. Some are coaching. But they weren't like the most talented team I'd seen. But we ran through uh, Garrett Cole. Knocked him out in the second round, or the second inning that year. Mm-hmm. Very cold night in Tucson. Um, mm-hmm. We ran through some really, really solid teams and then beat South Carolina, the back-to-back champions in two games in the yeah. World Series. They had, they had a good run there for a minute. Um, you had two guys from Florida State who were hitting above 450 on the season. <laughs> Um, Patrick Ramsey being one of them, um, um, and another guy Boyd. Um, those guys were awesome. It's just, but it didn't matter. Every single player was hitting three hundred by the end of that year, and that one through nine was hitting three hundred. Mm. And it wasn't that talented of a team. It's just everybody loved each other and everybody worked hard for each other. So don't back down from a challenge. Um, give it everything you got. Get hot at the right time. You never know. So you always got to get everything you got, and team chemistry really does matter. Yeah. Because some of the most talented baseball teams I've ever seen were horrible on the field because they did not play for each other. They played for themselves. Right. Well, you've seen you've seen that play out a lot with some of these super teams that are being built outside of the sport of baseball. And, 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 and inside baseball, the sport man. As well. uh, I mean, look at uh, the Phillies last year. The Phillies were a wild card team. They were the third team in the, uh, in the NL East. But you could just tell they had a ton of fun on the bench. And they were just helping each and other out. And they won two games in the World Series. Each other. Yeah. And they came, they, they came um, 54 outs away from winning a World Series. I mean, same with the Astros. Regardless of whether you win They're you extremely not, talented. But the adversity has brought them closer together. But they, they're a unit because they're all homegrown talents. Yes. So, cool. Great, Bods. Cool. What's yours? What's mine? Did you think I wasn't going to ask you back? Like, no, I, I, I assumed, I hoped you were. Never mind, I don't care. <laughs> Continue. Uh, first, before I start, speaking of national championships, shout out to the South Dakota State Jackrabbit football team for winning the FCS national Let's go! championship in Frisco uh, a couple weeks ago. You went. I told you I was going to go, and then I forgot it was that day, and I was, was like, hey, did you go? It was so, I got a notification. I was like, oh, shit, that game was today. It was so awesome. There was about 8,000 Jackrabbit fans at the Toyota Stadium. That's where you had a bunch of old teammates come in. Yeah. So wow. I, I saw some old teammates, saw some old friends. Like training? Saw some people that I didn't recognize because I was probably intoxicated when I met them a bunch of times. Back in the day because you don't drink anymore. Back in the day because I do not drink anymore. But it was it was, a, it was really cool. It felt like to be back in Brookings, South Dakota where that's where the university is. And it's, it's interesting because in college as a baseball player, I was a bit salty 
towards the football team. We had sort of this like weird rivalry. It happens, man. We had I think um, ours was the swim team. Yeah, it's like it's it's dumb because we had didn't you know, make any sense. We could have been friends. We could have supported sure. each other. That but in my four works. years there, I went to uh, I think a, a half of a football game total. And really? now in the last pre game, you just left the halftime pre game, and I left. I didn't really want to go. Yeah, and then that was 2014. I graduated. And since then, the Jackrabbits have played in the national championship twice in Frisco, mm-hmm. and I've been to both of those full That's games. That's awesome, man. You went to more games in the post-grad than you did during when Because you now I have like re- this real pride sure. for my school. I love South Dakota State. I'm very thankful that I went there and was able to go there. So pumped about them and the South Dakota State Jackrabbits for making... The tournament and winning, and congrats to all those guys, those players, everyone, all about it. Sweet. Thank you. Fantastic. Congratulations to Jackrabbits, man. Congratulations. Busted my bracket last year in basketball. They're a good basketball team, and their yeah. softball team is mad good, too, so we'll see how That's we, solid, man. See so is Arizona's. So, but my favorite moment as, um, as a baseball player probably came uh, in my junior year. Now, baseball player or baseball in general? Baseball player. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't when we won uh, um, when we won bronze in the Maccabi games. That was pretty sweet. Yeah, <laughs> we did win bronze in the Maccabi games. Jewish Jewish Olympics for young people. And I was coaching Coach Moshbitz. Uh, yeah, it was probably my junior year. We won the conference championship, which means we get an automatic bid into the NCA tournament. I texted you. That was like I, I hadn't talked to you. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I remember that because we had you played Oregon, yeah, and we had just played Oregon the year before, right? And so I texted you like a scouting report on my high level experience with them, yeah. But I hadn't talked to you in like six years. Great, I loved it. I don't think I don't know if you even like looked at it. I don't. I don't remember. Yeah, but I know. I know is that we won the tournament. We we uh, got a four seed to go to Oregon. And we got like this charter plane. We never get to. We never flew on planes. South Dakota State. We were Division One, but we had very little money. We only got one plane trip a year. Everywhere else was 18, 15, 20 hour drives to go play where we needed to play, and that was every weekend because we couldn't play a home game for the first, you know, three or four months of the season. So out of the fifty six games, we probably played thirty of on the on the road. So we win our conference tournament. We get to have this sweet flight to Oregon. We get there a day before. We get a practice on the field. All this stuff. And uh, yeah, and then the game was was awesome. It was like the the coolest moment of my life as a baseball. That's player. really cool, man. And you want to tell the story about how they try to like deke you out? Oh, the day before? Yeah, yeah. The day before was weird, man. They we were meant to practice like a few hours after we got there, and they like started taking us on a like a tr- like tour of the like their facilities, like we like. And I started the tour thinking like, oh, this will be cool. Like, organize cool facilities. Yeah. And then like four or five minutes into the, into like this tour of the facilities, I was like, they're treating us like high schoolers. They were basically patting themselves in the back for being way better than you. They were treating us like, like little bitch recruits. Who was doing the tour? Like ops guy? Yeah. Like little bitch recruits who came to just like, oh my God, your facilities are so good. Your players are so good. And like, I was excited and then I just got fucking pissed. And I like started like just whispering in all my teammates' ears like, this ain't it, boys. Doesn't matter what facilities they have. I just kept going around to everyone like, this is bullshit. This is bull. They're treating us like little kids. This is not a recruiting trip. We're literally playing them on ESPN tomorrow night. It's not a scrimmage. It's not an exhibition. It's the NCA tournament and so after that everyone was like a little bit like oh yeah I get it and then we practiced we had a good practice 
And then we played them really tough. We 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 ended up losing three to two. That's awesome. I had two RBI in the game, which was cool. At the end of the game, I faced our closer who threw ninety seven, yeah. which is the hardest I'd seen in college. Uh, I think he got drafted at some point, but it was amazing. And then the next day, we lost to University of San Francisco in like thirteen or fourteen innings. Um, you gave it your all though. That's pretty awesome to go to a regional as a four seed and play two really tight and games. play USF good baseball program. Yeah. And Oregon, really good baseball program. At the time, the head coach was Coach Horton, yeah. who um, is a legendary uh, coach out of uh, Cal State Fortson, who came and basically restarted the Oregon baseball program back in 09, I think, and uh, maybe 10. It was a brand-new program. Um, and so you're going in in, what, 2013? 2013. 2013, and you you play a legendary coach through the loose 3-2 to two as a mid-major D1 program. Yep. Maybe even just a low major D1 program. In terms of money, yeah. yeah. In terms and of talent. USF, who constantly has a good baseball program, mm-hmm. and you lose them in 13, 14 innings. That's an impressive showing in Eugene. Yeah. You know, it was hilarious also because I grew up around San Francisco, <clears throat> and there was this, until I was about 12, and there was this kid that was always mad good. And we get to play USF, and this guy comes to first base, and I'm looking at him. Like, recognize I, him. I know you. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I know you. I was like, oh, yeah, we played Little League together in California. That's fucking And he nuts, crushed man. it at USF. Then he ended up getting drafted and played with the A's for a little while. Um, That's really His name cool. was Justin Maffei. It was okay. cool. It was super cool. That's really dope. So, yeah. And then I played my senior year, whatever, and then and now we're coaching. So, That's cool. Thanks for sharing, Bods. Now I got we got some serious thing to talk about here. Very serious. So, we recently were made aware through our buddy, um, Shigon, right? Our buddy, she, who literally just texted me. Yeah. And he said, my schedule depends on when the 49ers play. Great. We love the 49ers. Let's go. He does. They absolutely yeah. smoked the Seahawks, and I'm pumped about it. They're going to win the Super Bowl. You Brock, heard it here. Brock Purdy, man. This guy's sick. Mr. Freaking Inter- 300, 300 yards passing, just crushing it. Four touchdowns, He's got man. his boys behind him. Travis, or, um, what's the what's the, the tight end's name? Um, uh, Greg Kittle. Kittle, yeah. Kittle loves him. Saw the post-game interview. It was awesome. Anyways. So She Gone Nation makes us aware of this thing that uh, Perfect Game is doing where they're ranking... Eight-year-olds. 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 Give your initial take on that. Why? Eight-year-olds. All right, so, so let me start with this. Um, I'm a parent now. Mm-hmm. It's five months on Thursday. So the day this comes out, when you listen to this, if you listen to this, the first day it comes out, you will be five months that day. Um, we're a ways away from all that, but... I don't post pictures of his face because there's something called social kidnapping where you can take somebody's face and you can basically like make that face your own or you can pretend it's your own child or whatever. Mm. Um, and you basically steal that person's identity. And <clears throat> you're having eight-year-olds full names and pictures at eight years old. You can hear him in the back. Is, is this picking that up? Maybe. Maybe. I forgot that I had the baby monitor in here. Uh, baby's cooing and calling over there. Um, that, and then it just, I, I guess, on top, I'm collecting my thoughts here. Okay. There was somebody who, and I, I sent this to Shigan Nation, to Jeff Fry, um, and he cracked up and he reposted it, um, that somebody in Arkansas posted something saying, hey, we have two spots open in our 8U travel team. We're looking for an experienced catcher with a solid bat. Experienced catcher. At eight, eight years, years old. old. Those people are the ones who are like, yeah, rank my kid. 
But what's going through your brain that you think, one, there's an experienced kid out there at eight years old that's experienced enough to really lift your team. But also, like, like if you're a parent and you are one of those people who is like, yeah, I want my kid to be ranked nationally at eight years old, I would love for you to reach out to me. Yeah. And, and explain to me your thought process. Because I, I, I guess I, as a human being, I try to put myself in, 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 in empathetic shoes sure. and try to understand both sides. I can't for the life of myself understand why somebody would want their kid to be exposed nationally to a ranking at eight years old when you haven't developed in any way, shape, or form. You have no idea what size your kid's going to be at 13, 14. You have no idea what mental capacity they're going to have and how they're going to develop mentally at that age. You don't know if they're going to be like, going to like baseball at 14, You don't 15. know if they like it at eight. You have no idea. So why are you allowing your kid to be ranked? Even at 12, 12U rankings are the biggest freaking joke because it costs money to do it, to get ranked. All it is is saying, hey, this person paid us to put their name up there. But it doesn't matter. You're 12. You still don't know what kind of baseball player. You're getting a better idea, but you don't know yet. Mm -hmm. I tell kids that that anytime I do a pitching lesson, I always tell them, you know how many scouts are coming to your games this year? Zero, because you're 14 years old and you're not in high school yet. Mm -hmm. Scouts have more important things to do then go to a 14U baseball game. That's not an indictment on how good you are. It's just the reality of the situation. Now, the national championship championship game in Hoover, Alabama, I don't know. I don't know. There's some schools out there like, hey, we're in the area. Might as well just go see what's out there so we can get a head start. Maybe. Sure. Maybe. Potentially. But it's high schools. when when you So, so in youth sports, until you're 15 years old, none of that shit matters. It just doesn't. Um especially at eight years old. And the fact that an organization that is claiming to be about the kids is monetizing on an eight-year-old is sickening to me. And it pisses me off. And it makes me want to take down that organization. Mm. And, you know, there's ways of doing that, you know, competing against them and figuring out ways to take money out of their pockets by competing against them. But... My my wheels have been spinning since I since I came up. I was like, well, well, "F them! Why are they taking money out of eight year old pockets?" Yeah, that's disgusting to me. And the parents you pay for it are the ones you don't know any better. They're not educated enough to know that it doesn't matter. Because the people who are selling those rankings are saying, "Hey, get a head start. He's eight years old. It's time to get get a good start." No, it's not. And now you your kid's name. Not only is your kid's name in public, which I have a moral issue with that. On its own, but on top of that, the pressure that it puts on a third or fourth grader—that's the issue—is is bad for their development. That's the issue. Like I have to figure out a way as a baseball person how to not put too much pressure on my son. I have no idea how I'm going to do it, but I mean, I have a few years to figure it out. Yeah, but I'll tell you, no, don't put pressure on my son. One on one, don't put his name up in lights and national rankings. Yeah, there, there's a time and place to learn how to handle the pressure that comes with playing at a high level of sport. There comes a time and place for that. We talk about all, that a lot with this and in the, in the program that we teach. But with kids that are 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, it's all about fun. Fun, 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 fun. The game of baseball is already very hard, especially for people who don't know what they're doing. That's kids who are 8, 9, 10, 11. They don't know what they're doing. 
So we make the game fun by praising effort, not saying you have to be this good so you can get this ranking so it looks good on the internet so my friends think that I'm cool and I have a good kid. And so it needs to be about fun and it needs to be about playing as many sports as humanly possible. And every different season, play every different sport. You don't need to be specialized in your sport until until older age, maybe 13 or 14 or 15, maybe. But your body becomes creative and it allows to move in different directions and be a dynamical system when you're doing different sports and allowing your body to have different movements and you're working with different teams and teammates and coaches and you're gaining all of this experience and knowledge, not saying, I'm a baseball player, that's it, I'm only doing this forever. Because at some point, if you get good at baseball, that will be your job. And at that point, if you don't love the game as much as, you, as much as anything else, it will feel tedious and tired and crappy. If Shea Hillenbrand did not love the game of baseball, he would have quit Major League Baseball earlier than he did. But he loved it so much and was willing to grind through it that he did that. And he earned that love at a very young age, not from getting ranked by a perfect game, but by throwing a tennis ball against the wall because he loved it, because he thought it was fun, because he was just moving his body, because he was just having fun and playing and doing this and doing that. And then it became serious as it moved on. But if you create this sort of seriousness at eight years old, you are going to deter... 10 years old, 12 years old. All that. You're going to deter all of these kids from playing baseball or playing sports in general because kids are quitting youth sports at ages 10 or 11 at a higher rate than ever before. And they're getting on their phone. They're doing social media. They're not getting outside. They're not getting socialized. They're not moving around. They're not getting exercise. They're not doing all of these things because they don't want to play the sport that is so demanding of them that they have to be perfect all of the time and then they think they have to be perfect in baseball that means they have to be perfect in school in their relationship they have to be perfect across the board and asking for perfection across the board is an impossible thing to ask because it doesn't exist perfect doesn't exist and so that is extremely important you're not just you're not just deterring your kid from potentially having this lifelong passion like Coach Bodson and I, not major leaguers, didn't play in the major leagues, but a baseball is now a lifelong passion for us and it, we're pursuing it in a way that makes us happy and joyous. And that's something that you want to instill in the young kid. But if you make it about rankings and championships and outcomes and being perfect, he is going to lose love for that thing by age 10. And now right. what, two years of a sport? You've given... $20,000 to that sport and your kid wants to quit at age 10 because he hates it. Now you don't let him quit because you spent too much money and you're telling him that you only love him because you spent the money and now he has to do these things and you're creating all these trickle-down effects that potentially you're not thinking about but you have to think about them because you have a little person that you're taking care of yes. and this little person is going to go out into the world and be a big person and he's going to talk to other people and that's going to have an effect and a downstream effect and a domino and all these things. So I can't just sit here and say parents are just being ignorant and stupid. Because they don't know. I can't. Okay. That may be part of the reason. Okay. You've never had a kid in, in youth sports. You don't know what to do, right? Sure. You haven't looked at, this is your first kid and you're like, this is what I think I should right. do. Well, I can take that. That's one side. Yes. But I can also say the other side is you're just doing it because you didn't succeed in where you wanted yes. to succeed. And now you're pushing Living your vicariously kid through your kid. In, in the wrong go way. go to spring training. Very easy access to Major League Baseball players when you go to spring training. Go up to any Major League Baseball player and ask them, hey, should I be getting my kid ranked at 12 years old? No. That's going to be the answer. No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. You should be going outside and just swinging a stick. And that leads (laughs) to the other aspect of it. You know what I mean? Thinking that you need to take your kid to a showcase 
a drop in the hat showcase that thousands of other kids are going so that you can get rankings on that stuff. Now, if you're going for exposure specifically, you're not. You're not getting the exposure you need by getting put on a website at that age. Now, going to a showcase so you can see where you stand and understanding what your rankings are and understanding what you need to prove on, sure. Those are out there too. But going to these things and paying $2,000 for a combine just so you can get your name up in lights at 13 years old and you think that's giving you a leg up, it's not because scouts don't give a shit about that. Yeah. Uh, an operation, uh, a scouting director at the University of Arizona is not going to care what your rankings are at 13 years old. No. They're just not. It doesn't matter because your testosterone isn't fully functioning in your brain and in, in your body. Your frontal cortex is not fully developed. You're not who you're going to be at that age. Mm-hmm. At 15, 16 years old, a much better idea. Okay, this is we're pretty sure who this is going to be. But at 13, 14 years old, if you're going for any other reason than just to get a baseline of where you're at, what you need to work on, you're not. You're doing a disservice to yourself, and you're kind of, in my opinion, you're getting duped by a national organization who's trying to make money off of you because you think that your kid's going to get recruited based off the rankings at 13, 14 years old, and they're not. They are not. Yeah. We all know that. We've all been there, and we know for a fact they will not. So stop spending the money on that stuff. Spend on your on, on anything else. There's a lot of other things you can spend it on. Yeah. Um, well, or spend more time developing just a passion. Sure. Yes. And a love for the game, and being a good teammate, and things of that nature that are much more important and relatable and usable to the rest of your life because it's very unlikely that you're going to be a major league baseball player who gets a twenty million dollar contract. You're going to be like most of us. You're going to play varsity baseball in high school or maybe possibly get a Division One scholarship and be fortunate and privileged enough to play four years at a university. But then it will come to an end. And if you haven't developed the things that are important to develop because of youth sports, then what's the point? Because you, you right. quit and you're angry at your parents and you develop resentment for the sport and for your teammates and all of these sorts of things instead of developing love and passion and, that's another and piece warmth of it, for right? these things. And it's like, I just don't understand. That's another piece. What you just talked about is having love for the game. Once you graduate from high school and you play at the next level, you know firsthand it's really hard to enjoy yourself if it's you're not. It becomes a job. As soon as you graduate from high school, baseball is now a job. Mm-hmm. Wherever level you're playing at, it is a job. So stop putting unnecessary pressure on yourself or on your child through youth sports especially, mm-hmm. especially through 14U, and also very much so through high school because the second they sign that intent letter or they get drafted, they play at that next level. It's a job. It's still fun. It is, but it's only it's because you develop that love over, right. over the long haul. And if you learn as a youth athlete in the 13, 14 range, how to handle the pressure, how to calm yourself down, how to uh, handle rejection or not starting or not playing or getting out or striking out, you're going to be much better off in a high school environment where things can get a little bit pressure filled. If you play your rival high school and you're on varsity, there's going to be people there who know things about you. They're going to scream them. All of these things are a fun part of the game, but if you've sort of developed this internal security and this mental framework to allow yourself to handle those situations better, you're just going to be better off. And that's not developed by ranking little people against one another. 
That's developed through experience, through dialogue, through working hard, through developing passion for the game, through developing the fundamentals, through thinking about the whole scope of the person by praising effort over outcome, by praising effort over outcome, not just praising outcome. You did good because you made this. You did good because you tried hard and you showed up. And I'm proud of you for showing up and trying hard. There's a big difference between that. If we can instill those values at a very young age, then they're going to be able to, to bleed through when things do get a little more serious. Because, don't, don't get me confused, you have to get serious at some point. Yes. If you and you can to- be serious in youth baseball. I tell kids all the time, you're not putting in the work, you're not going to get better. You're not getting better, you're wasting everybody's time, right? right? right. You have to be taken seriously. Right. But the on-field pressure is so unnecessary because your performance between the lines in youth baseball is just a base point of what we need to work on. It's just, you're just gaining experience. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're just gaining experience. What matters is developing on the practice field so you're getting better and understanding the game better so when you go to high school, you know what the hell you're doing. Right. And once you know what you're doing, you get a starting spot in your high school and now you're getting looks. And now you're getting this stuff because you're using what you learn in youth baseball. Which is why I have a big problem fundamentally with the youth baseball coaches who care about winning. Right. You're not teaching these kids which means that you are hindering their ability to play at the next level. Right. And that's why I love what we do. All we care about is getting you ready for the next level. Now, we're probably going to win more games than we're going to lose. Sometimes we lose off the bat, whatever. Nobody likes to lose. But I care more about you developing as a human being and you as a baseball player because my goal is for you to play at the next level. Because once you get out of college, out of high school, it's now a job. And my job is not to make you cry or feel stress or feel pressure and you as a parent, that's not your job either. Your job is to nurture and love and nurture a love for the game that teaches so many life lessons mm-hmm. because in the, the day, that's all you can do. You can't go play the game for them between the lines. As a coach, if you played for me before, you know, and you will know this season, I'm not gonna jump up and like yell a bunch of stuff and say you have to do better, right? No, we'll talk about that during practices, what was going on, because that's not my job. Is to, my job is to make sure that you have all the tools to succeed and then try to get you to have fun. Because eventually it stops becoming fun unless you're winning. But that's not it at 14U. Right. It's all, it's, it's sort of like, um, it's sort of like uh, dating, right? Whether you started dating in high school or middle school or whatever the case may be is, you dated a few different people and you made a bunch of mistakes in those relationships. You didn't treat people this way. You didn't do this. You didn't whatever, 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 right? But you dated a little bit until you found the person you wanted to be with forever. And you felt like at that point you were ready because you had some sort of these relationships that taught you so many different things with so many beautiful different people. Maybe it was a lot, maybe it was one or two people, it doesn't matter. But they taught you sort of these ins and outs because you made mistakes, because you failed, because you did things wrong. Then when the timing's right, you meet this person you're supposed to be with forever and you have this sort of backlog of experience on what to do and maybe what to try to avoid to be the best partner you can be. That's exactly what's happening here with youth sports. Between ages eight and 13, all you're doing is gaining experience. Because baseball is super cool, because every game something new will happen. And that just goes into your experience log. And it goes into your experience and log. Yeah, forcing you. It's getting ready for high school. And then at 14, you gets a little more serious. Who gives like, a shit about winning games, though? Like, like we're about to run to the season, right? I'm telling you right now, as a parent who's listening to this, as the coach of your kid's team, I don't care about winning as much as I care about your kid getting ready for high school. Right. That is number one. Now, 
Ooh, do I wanna win? Of course. Am I gonna sacrifice development to win? Absolutely not, because that's not my job. Right. My job is to get your kid ready for high school, not to win a bunch of baseball games at 14U when they don't really matter. Yeah, so yeah, when it, when it gets to 14U, it, it does become more serious, but the goal is only to get better, right? Because you've had all this experience from eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, of different things happening in the baseball game. Sure. Now you understand the game well, and they're developing even more about cuts and relays, where to be, uh, situational stuff, how to be a good teammate, how to handle this stuff at yep. 14. And then yep. when you get to 15, you're not surprised by anything. Yes, new mm-hmm. things are going to happen. New environments are going to happen. New people are going to happen. Different parts of the game are going to be explored. But you have such experience over such a long period of time of having fun, of developing, of gaining this base level foundation where you're just building brick by brick by brick on top. And then you become this really sound, sturdy, indestructible baseball player who nothing can phase. Yes. And that's what we're trying to build. That's the idea. That's that's what and I And that comes with failure and it comes with adversity and it comes with losing. Yeah, those are the best parts about it. Like the team we had last year lost a lot of games off the bat. And that's why that team was really solid yeah, at the end. The end of the season great and then they they went into fall with just like full head of steam. Significantly better just baseball players. Lots of confidence. They're going to have an amazing season. If this we year. hadn't played them at that level and we played them at a level below, they would have won a bunch of games. It wouldn't have gotten better. Right. So Simple as that. So that's it. That's what I have for this week. Coach Bodson, you got any last minute uh, thoughts, comments, questions, concerns? A lot of things in the pipeline for us, boys. I'm very excited about where this is going and the direction it's going in. Um, And uh, as everybody who's listening knows, I always keep you all posted on things, but there's uh, some things I can't quite talk about yet that's going to benefit a lot of kids uh, once we get this off the ground. And when that does start popping off, I'll get some of the guys I'm working with on this podcast to talk about it too. Um, so stay tuned on that stuff. Um, in the interim, um, subscribe to our newsletter. Um, thanks Chance for uh, com. Subscribe to our newsletter uh, for our mindset program. Uh, spread the word if you have it. If there's anything you want to ta- us to talk about, shoot us a text. Send us an email. If there's anything that you want to discuss, if there's anything that you have an issue with that we're saying you want to better understand or or have us better understand your perspective, please reach out to us. We're very easy to reach and we'd love to hear it. Um, additionally, if if you enjoyed Shea Hillenbrand and you would like more guests and there are subjects that you want us to cover with those guests, give us a shout on that stuff too because we do have um, – we do have a little, you know, a list of, of potential guests, um, kind of in our back pocket right now that we're going to start bringing on more. Yeah. But, uh, but it'll be great to uh, hear from our listeners on, uh, on what your thoughts were on those, as well as what you think we could have done better. Absolutely. So feedback would be great. Um, other than that, um, champsadjust.com, also with the uh, with the merchandise mindset program. Every episode newsletter, it's your yep. it's the hub. So. Thanks for listening. Thanks told, for watching. Uh, told Jeff Fry what we were talking about, and he said, heck yeah. Love Jeff it. Jeff Fry. Jeff Fry. We'll love get him, him. on thanks, here at some Jeff. point. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Shigon Nation. Um, yeah. Thanks, guys, everybody, for listening, um, and we will see you soon. Always remember, champions, champions adjust. adjust.